invite y'all to grab a seat and grab a Bible if you don't have one. We have Bibles located uh, all around the room on, on the tables. We're going to be using those this morning. Yeah, you know it's a good morning when you're already like uh, getting a little emotional during the first, first set of worship. So here we go. I'm, I'm teaching this morning, so that's a good, that's a good sign. Um, we're going to be in Mark, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is where we will be uh, this morning. But before we kind of dive into that together, I just kind of want to inform y'all of something heading into the fall. Uh, So if you remember, uh, some of you were with us, some of you weren't, uh, which is awesome. Back at the beginning of this summer, uh, we decided to kind of set a summer schedule and a uh, summer rhythm for us here at Marathon so that we could just grow in our love for one another and grow in our love for the community around us. And we've decided to keep that same rhythm going into the fall. So yeah. The calendar ends July 26th, that's today. Uh, we're keeping that 10 o'clock time going into the fall. So yeah, let's be excited about that. Um, so spread the word. Um, we don't want folks showing up at nine and 11 uh, starting next week. So seriously, spread the word, let people know. Uh, folks who normally kind of are here that you notice aren't here, uh, just inform them, uh, let them know. That would be awesome. Um, We're gonna dive into this text. Um, If you remember last week, um, Brandon kind of shared with us, uh, Jesus had taken the disciples into into the living room. He kind of slowed the pace down for a moment and he grabbed his closest friends, his closest followers, and he said, hey, come sit around the coffee table with me. Uh, Sit in the living room with me. There's some things that I wanna share with you about what it looks like to be my disciple some kind of really hard, hard things. And this is where we find ourselves uh, again uh, this week. The conversation is continuing. Jesus is continuing to share with his disciples, hey, here's what it looks like uh, to be my follower. Here's what it looks like to be my disciple. And this text, I'm gonna be really honest, this is one of those weeks where I was like, I hate the way we do things here at Ethos. We go through an entire book and we don't really gloss over anything. We like dive into each and every portion of scripture and I'm like, why do we do that? That is so lame. But no, it, it's good because you, you find yourselves uh, really gleaning, really learning from the words of Jesus, even if they're hard, even if they're kind of tough, even if they might seem harsh to us. I really think he has something rich and powerful uh, to share with us this morning. So. I think there's a reason why we do that, and uh, I think we're going to find out uh, that together uh, this morning. And so we're just going to dive in. Um, I just ask you to bear with me. Don't get caught up in too many things when we read the text. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 706. 706 is where we're going to be. So verse 42, let's get going. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Welcome to ethos. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So before I uh, 
had my role here at Ethos. I, I worked for an insurance company doing marketing and sales uh, here in Nashville. And one of my roles, one of the things that I did was I just made sure people were properly uh, covered, specifically on their car policies. And so one of the things I would do is make sure their coverage all lined up so that if something happened, they would be protected. And I would always use these abstract kind of examples of what could happen. Hey, here's why you need to have this. Uh, And it was all kind of just abstract and up in the air, both for me and for the person uh, I was talking to. Uh, But I'll never forget uh, the first time that I got a call uh, from somebody who I had kind of helped out and I saw their name on on the caller ID and uh, they had kind of said, hey, I've been in a serious accident. Some of the people in my car are heading to the hospital. Cars probably totaled. And it was this moment where, you know, panic a little bit set in because I was like, I really hope they're covered properly. Uh, And I remember typing their name into the screen and looking it up. And it was this moment when something so abstract, all of these possibilities that could happen became a very real reality. And thankfully, they had the coverage to cover their medical bills, to get their car fixed. Uh, And this is kind of where I found myself in this text this week. Uh, I found myself kind of having this abstract, idealistic view of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, When the reality of what it looks like to follow Jesus kind of hit me over and over and over again uh, the week in this text. And I really felt the Holy Spirit um, doing some hard things in my heart, uh, really kind of pushing out uh, this idealistic, uh, Western church view of, of what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus, to be, to be his disciple. And kind of two things I think I realized had happened uh, in my heart, in my life. One was that I had kind of lessened the stakes um, when the reality of following Jesus is a radical way of living. So that's kind of one thing I learned. I'd lessen the stakes. But I also kind of found that I had lessened the reward. I had lessened the true joy and the true peace and the true life that is found in Jesus, both, both now and, and for eternity. So I, I realized, hey, when I taste it, when I see it, uh, when, when I know it, even just for a glimpse, you know, there is nothing I wouldn't do to chase after it, uh, to run after it. So two things, I had lessened the stakes and I had lessened the reward. Uh, and this was Jesus' like words to me this week. And I think this is maybe what he wants to share with us this morning. Do whatever you have to do so that you may enter the kingdom of God. Do whatever you have to do so that you may enter the kingdom of God. It is so beyond worth it. It's worth it. I can remember a time in my life when I was a big, fat, stupid idiot. Um, If you don't know the dating story of me and my wife, well, we would be here for hours. But there was a moment in time uh, when uh, me and my wife were not dating. And I'll just say the light bulb went off. And I was like, what are you doing, you idiot? This is the woman you're gonna marry. And so I, I did everything that I possibly could, everything that I possibly could uh, to win her heart, to win her heart. I laid it all on the line. I laid my pride on the line in ways I don't even wanna talk about here this morning. But it was this moment, it was this moment when you were, I was willing to do whatever it took. Things worked out, she's sitting here on the first row, y'all don't worry. Um, I was willing to do whatever it took uh, to, to, to glean that reward. And so this text, it's, it's weird, it's crazy. There's a lot of harsh language. You've got 
Uh, someone being tossed into the sea. You've got someone chopping off limbs. You've got something about salt at the end here. Uh, there's no doubt this is a very unique portion of, of scripture. It's full of graphic terminology, dramatic acts, uh, severe warnings, rather violent threats. Um, but I really believe it's a passage about what it looks like to radically follow Jesus. And the language obviously bears testimony to that. It calls for radical behaviors. Um, and it shows us how radical it is to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But I was just reminded this week as I kind of went back and looked through Mark, this is, not, this is not a deviation from what Jesus has been sharing with us up to this point. It's not like he turned up the heat in this moment. He'd already been calling people, hey, repent, turn, uh, follow me. Hey, it's gonna be better to, to lose your life like, so that you can gain life. Um, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. So this language, it's not new. You know, the, the radical pursuit of following Jesus is something he's been sharing with us all through in Mark. So there's a lot here, <laughs> but hopefully by the grace of God, uh, we can kind of learn uh, and glean from what Jesus is trying to show us and teach us. Earlier in the week, I had kind of here, I was like, listen, I don't know I don't have three words. I don't have uh, three, three points. We're just gonna go verse by verse. But then later in the week, he kind of uh, enlightened me a little bit. So what we're gonna look at here is a radical love. This is kind of how it's gonna be broken down. We're gonna look at a radical love. We're gonna, we're gonna look at a radical purity. And this radical love is a view of what it looks like to radically pursue Jesus in the midst of community. And then this radical purity is what it looks like to radically pursue Jesus uh, as an individual in, in your own life. So this is kind of where we're going. Um, and why does this matter? Why does this matter? Uh, kind of like I said at the beginning, because the stakes are great, the stakes are high, um, but the reward, the reward is even greater. So let's dive in back to verse 42. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown to the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. So I think there's a few words we really need to uncode here. Let's uncode these words so that we can better understand what Jesus is saying. So we'll look at little ones, we'll look at sin, we'll look at millstone, and we'll look at, look at the sea to kind of give us a better picture. So when Jesus, he says little ones here, uh, what he's actually referring to is uh, a young believer, a new believer, uh, a common disciple uh, of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about uh, the people sitting beside you. He's not talking about actual kids. He's just talking about the common, uh, the common believer. Sin. So when he says sin, he means to cause to stumble. That's what sin means here, to cause to stumble, to cause someone else to stumble. Um, so in this instance, it refers to destroying the faith of another believer, um, to cause another believer just to fall farther from God. And then we got this word millstone. Uh, which the disciples would have been able to easily picture. They would have seen a large stone that literally it weighed tons. Uh, and this stone was used to crush uh, the heads of grain to turn it into flour. And it could only be moved by like a donkey or a mule of some kind. So it's this massive, huge stone that weighed a ton. And you've got this picture of the sea. And the sea for us, we're like, oh, that's awesome. Let's go to the beach. I love the beach. That's great. For the Jewish people, they were like, not cool with the sea. It was a place of fear. So for them, drowning in the sea would have been a threat that they would have never, never forgotten. Um, if they wanted to go fishing, they're not fishing in the sea. They're fishing in the lake. Um, that's where you're going to find them fishing. And so that kind of helps us get a grasp culturally of what's going on here. And I realized later in this week uh, that 
these words are calling us to love one another in a very radical fashion. A love for one another uh, so that we don't cause one another to sin. And I was reminded of, of God's zealous love uh, for, for us, for his people, uh, both, uh, both then and, and now. This love and protective attitude, which is like kind of what I think we see here, is not new for God and his people. So go back, Genesis 12, God talking to Abraham. He says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Uh, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you uh, will be cursed. And God, he calls Israel his people. He says, hey, you're the apple of my eye. He's not talking about apple you eat and you hold. He's saying, hey, you, you are the center of my eyeball. You are the center of my love and affection. This is like if someone pokes you in the eye, uh, you, you're really messing, you're messing with God here. Don't, don't, don't poke or mess with my people. I love, I love my people. And this is kind of the primary foundational truth, I think, about how we deal with one another. And it's built, built upon a principle we saw back in uh, Mark 9, which we studied last week. Uh, we find this in verse 37. So go with me. Verse 37, you'll read this. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but receives me, him who sent me. Here's the point. Christ lives in every believer. How you treat a believer is how you treat Christ, and how you treat Christ is how you treat God. You can't isolate the believer from Christ. Uh, you cannot isolate the believer from God the Father because uh, both dwell uh, up in the believer. John 13, he says a little bit differently. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So how you treat another human being is ultimately how you treat Christ. Um, how you love one another is how you love Christ. And truly, truly loving someone is pushing and pointing them towards Christ, not away from him. Uh, truly loving someone is pushing and pointing them towards Jesus, not away from him. So what this is calling for here is just this radical, radical love that works very hard to never be a source of sin to those around you. Never be a source of lust or materialism or love of the world or a source of pride to those around you. And we're talking here about the people in our lives, the, the spouses, uh, the, the children, the coworkers, the acquaintances, uh, those you encounter in everyday life. What I was reminded is love, love does not induce sin. Love does the very opposite. First Peter, it says, love one another with a stretched love, with a fervent love. And this is that word that you used to describe the stretching of a muscle to its absolute maximum capacity. And I love this picture. It's, it's an all-encompassing love that reaches as far as it can possibly go. Uh, this kind of love, it does not induce sin, it covers sin. It does the very opposite. And a fervent love, it, it helps others towards, towards holiness. Uh, Philippians 2 defines it as a kind of love, the kind of affection that thinks more highly, highly of others than you think of oneself. It's the kind of love that elevates, it uplifts others uh, towards righteousness. I think that's what Jesus is trying to encourage us to do here. When the world, it kind of gives us this narrative um, that what you do has no effect on others around you. Hey, do what's best for you. Um, Live the life that's best for you. Do what kind of makes you most happy. And Jesus is kind of gently just reminding us here, 
that what you do and what you say has a big impact upon others around you. Uh, so radically love, radically love those around you. And I was trying to bring this down to the ground uh, for all of us this week. But what I found for me personally was it, it was just a very kind of real personal thing uh, for me kind of examining my life. And so I thought, why don't I just invite everybody um, sometime this week to just kind of go before the Lord, go before God and just kind of ask, hey, are there areas in my life, which is kind of a hard thing to do. It's that a verse in Psalm, hey, search me, try me. Are there areas in my life where I'm causing others around me uh, to stumble? So I won't list off a bunch of examples here of how this could possibly play out in your life, but just wanna invite you, hey, search your heart. Allow God to search your heart this week and really, um, really find out these areas. It, it, it was hard for me this week to do this, but, but he did it and I was thankful for it. So that's kind of this picture of radical love for, for one another, radical love for the people around you. Next, we'll kind of look at this picture of radically following Jesus uh, by pursuing radical purity. So verse 43, the fun stuff. If your hand causes you to sin or to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life main than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, so before we go anywhere, let's just say Jesus is using hyperbole. I don't want us to leave this place with the idea that chopping off a limb is actually a good, a good idea, at least not literally. And so Jesus is using hyperbole, just like uh, he always tended to do to, to prove a point, to make a point. And once again in this passage, we kind of got to unpack some language and some things that he says here so that we can gain a more full picture and understanding of what Jesus is trying to teach us. So we'll look at sin, we'll look at hell, and we'll look at this weird phrase at the end uh, about a worm. Uh, so sin in the original language simply means to, to miss the mark. And that's helpful and all, but I found this uh, quote from St. Augustine that really helped uh, this idea come to life in this specific passage. He said, sin is nothing else than to neglect eternal things and seek after temporary things. So sin is nothing else than to neglect eternal things and seek after temporary things. And so next he, he spouts off this word hell, which the disciples, they would have been able to easily picture what this was. Uh, for them, they would have actually gone to a specific place in Jerusalem. So early on in Jerusalem, uh, back in 2 Kings, when kings were kind of ruling uh, this realm, uh, you had kings that uh, participated in human sacrifice. And so human sacrifice would have taken place in a valley. And this is where they would have gone uh, in their minds because hell here actually is Gehenna in the original language. And this is where this valley derived its name from, from this word right here. So it was a valley where literally human sacrifice had taken place for years. And later, uh, this valley was turned into the city dump. So all the garbage, everything people didn't want, this is where it would go. It became the city septic tank. So all uh, of everybody's waste would go here. It was a place that nobody would have ever wanted to spend any amount of time, not even a second. So they were able to actually picture, uh, picture a place in their mind when Jesus says this. And then you've got this phrase, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We're not gonna get hung up too much on this. This is a quote from Isaiah where God's just talking about rebellion against God here. So that's kind of where that comes from. 
So here's the synopsis. Like this is, I think what Jesus was trying to teach me. Do whatever you have to do to run from sin in the opposite direction. Do whatever you have to do to run from sin in the opposite direction. The stakes, they are great, but the prize, the prize is so worth it. The prize, the joy, the life, both now and for eternity with Jesus, it is so worth it to do whatever you have to do. So I was like, okay, what does this actually look like? That's, that's great and all. What, what does this actually look like possibly in, in our life? So I started thinking about, you know, just common ways in, in our culture that causes us to sin, causes us to stumble. So I thought about Facebook and social media. I thought, man, is that not a source, not for all, but for some, uh, of envy, of coveting, of jealousy, uh, of lust. It, Jesus is saying, hey, cut it off, cut it off. It's not, it is not worth it. This is how serious I am. Leave it behind, don't go to it anymore. Or is this an area of your life where it's like, you always seem to stumble and fall with your boyfriend or girlfriend late at night at each other's apartment or each other's home. Jesus is saying, hey, cut it off. It's not worth it. Do whatever you need to do so that it doesn't happen again. Or is your smartphone, is your computer, um, is it uh, a source of lust? Is it a source of pornography? Jesus is saying, hey, cut it off. It's not worth it. Do whatever you have to do to run the opposite direction. Uh, Do whatever you have to do. Do you become the incredible Hulk when you compete in intramural basketball? Like, hey, not worth it. Cut it off, like not worth it. And that's what Jesus, I think, is saying here. And I want us to see two things about this radical, radical purity. One, it is a process. And two, it's ultimately a heart issue. It is a process. And it is ultimately a heart issue. So how do we know it's a process? Uh, we look at these verbs and they're actually in the present tense. And so Jesus is not saying, hey, you do this once, you're good to go. He's saying, no, this is a journey with me. This is a process with me. Uh, Don't think there is a quick fix or or a quick answer. And we also know this by the next verse, verse 49, it says, everyone will be salted with fire. Another way of kind of viewing this, what I think I uncovered is, everyone will be seasoned with trials. So it's a weird phrase, but everyone will be seasoned by times of of trials in your life. Life is rarely gonna go perfect. So allow those those times that aren't perfect uh, be a purification process. So often, um, salt and fire were known for their purification qualities. And I think that's why Jesus uses them here. Salt, it would preserve, it would purify food. Uh, Fire, it would purify uh, golds, precious metals, and that kind of thing. So this is, not, this is not about perfection. This is not about a moment of perfection that Jesus is reaching for. There is so much grace here. He's, he's telling us, hey, this is much more about the direction that you're headed uh, than perfection. That kind of rhymes. It's not about the perfection, it's about the direction. So there you go. Next, uh, it's, a, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Do what you can to cut off the sin, but know that it only comes down to the condition of your heart. How do we know this? Okay, so you cut off both your hands, you cut off both your feet, both your eyes are gone. Are you still going to sin? Yes, you're still going to sin. Jesus is always, he is always after the heart. 
So let's say we eliminate every sin from our life. We know it's not possible. Eliminate every sin from our life, but we still haven't fully given Jesus the entirety of our heart. Doesn't matter. No, he wants the entirety of our heart. I think that's what he's getting after here. And so here's an invitation, I think, here for for those in the room that aren't yet uh, followers of Jesus. He says, "I, I want your heart. That's what I'm after here. I'm not after your perfection. I'm not after uh, you being perfect. I'm after your heart. You haven't gone too far. You have not done too much. Uh, It is never too late to fully give me your heart. And the truth and the beauty of this passage, uh, I think really comes to life when you look at how this story ends. You look at how Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross so that every single person, every single person can step into life with him. What's it take? Giving Jesus your heart. There's two things uh, that the Holy Spirit was really revealing uh, to me this week and I kind of talked about them at the very beginning. Uh, One was that I don't take sin seriously enough. uh, That I've lessened the stakes. And two is that my view of eternity with God, it is not beautiful enough, it is not majestic enough, it is not captivating enough. And I think Jesus is reminding uh, this uh, to me uh, this week, hey, life with me both now and for forever is so much better than anything you can possibly imagine. And I kept being drawn to this passage in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three. Listen closely. It says, praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. I just invite you to close your eyes and listen to this one more time. It says, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's two things here. One, it's this idea that hope found in Jesus is not only an eternity, it is a living, present hope. The joy, the life uh, found in Jesus is available for everyone right now in this moment. But the inheritance, and I love this word here, inheritance, uh, is even better than anything you can imagine. You imagine an inheritance. So your rich uncle, he, he just like, he dies, sadly. And he gives you every, everything he owns. He gives you his mansion. He gives you all of his land. He gives you all of his cars. He gives you his business. Everything, everything. So this picture of inheritance is good and all, but we know that when you store up your treasures here, it'll rust, it'll destroy, it'll fade. 
Uh, Jesus says, he says, store up your treasures in heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven where this inheritance, where this inheritance will never fade. We're talking about an eternity with the creator of the universe. Uh, we're talking about uh, day after day, moment after moment with God uh, that never fades. And I was trying to picture this this week and obviously it's impossible, uh, but I heard someone kind of describe it one time as you get to the top of this mountaintop experience. You're the top of this mountain. It is the best moment with God you have ever had. You are in his presence and you're not leaving it. You look up and there's another mountain. There's another peak. There's another moment uh, with God in his presence. And over and over and over and over and over again, uh, you never leave the pinnacle of presence with the creator of the universe. I know, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> but I was just reminded this week of how uh, little I think and really maybe believe in, in what that might look like. Uh, because I think if I had a grasp, if I dwelled upon, if I thought upon, if I pursued this life with Jesus, this peace with Jesus both now and for eternity, uh, looking at this passage in Mark uh, would make a whole lot more sense. It would make a whole lot more sense uh, to all of us. And so kind of as we, as we leave uh, today, I kind of want us to just ask some questions, just ask some questions, both to the people around you uh, and to yourself. You know, where have I lessened the stakes? Where have I maybe not taken sin seriously enough in my life? And also, but more importantly, where have I lessened the reward? Where have I lessened uh, the life, the peace found in Jesus? Where have I lessened the stakes and where have I lessened the reward? I was just thinking like, okay, so this is, this is a lot of stuff. I'm like, I don't want us leaving uh, this morning feeling like, oh man, I've missed Mark, you know? Uh, this is real heavy stuff. I'm just praying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, he gives us a more clear picture of who he is both now and in the present and what it will be like with him for forever. Who he is now, the beauty of who he is now and the beauty of what it will be like to live with him uh, for forever. And if we leave this place in all of the beauty of Jesus Christ, both life with him now and both life with him forever, uh, we'll leave better, we'll leave better. And here's, here's the thing, for those that aren't yet followers of Jesus, like I said earlier, this life awaits for you. This hope, this reward, both now and in the future, awaits for you right now in the moment. Uh, you've not done too much, you've not gone too far, uh, it's not too late, but you can accept the gift uh, that Jesus is offering. How do you do that? You accept it, come back there, talk with us, pray with us. Uh, we would love to talk with you about what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus. So I wanna pray for us and just ask like, God, will you uh, do something among us that, that only you can do? Um, and then we'll head to communion uh, together this morning.